This is Basket Case Clubs, CPR Group's podcast where we turn basket case clubs into showcase clubs. everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Basket Case Clubs, our little podcast where we have fun talking about all of the crappy stuff that people in clubs do and ideally how we can then help them turn around. I'm your host Michael Connolly and it is my pleasure to introduce once again my co-host and partner in Basket Casey Goodness, Steve Connolly. G'day Steve. Hello, I introduce myself as Michael's partner in Basket Casey Goodness at parties now. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm Michael's <laughs> partner in Basket Casey Goodness. Great opening. Is that the sort of time that everyone that you're talking to at a party says, I'm going to go and stand over here now? Yeah, anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, do you have someone else to talk to? No, no, just don't want to talk to you. You're just weird. Uh, or is it that they know me? Crikey. <laughs> hey, maybe that's what it is. Maybe. Yeah, I'll stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to keep your friends yeah. to, to win some yeah <laughs> oh my goodness I that's a pleasure a, to be back thank I you for thank you for the invite to come and uh ramble at and with you <laughs> and today we're going to continue our journey through marketing and it's been interesting because most clubs don't really think about how they should be doing marketing and therefore they kind of just don't they that's that's probably not entirely fair because a lot of them do get online and they they post their stuff online and they hope that people are going to see their stuff online and then act with the act as they're supposed to by seeing their stuff online and then that the magic's going to happen mm. but it's really not the case so last time we talked about membership marketing so we we narrowed it down in the first in the first session that we talked about in uh, we talked about marketing we narrowed it right down and said well let's get away from core business and let's look at the fact that clubs have multiple business units and we started with canteen marketing and that was interesting because really the most marketing that clubs do for their canteens is unlocking each side of the roller door rolling it up and standing there with their arms folded waiting for people to come to them rather than saying uh, hey this is actually a really good business unit we've got some good stuff to sell we've got some healthy meal options we're going to give you a good dining experience. Plus you don't have to go anywhere. So it's super, it's super convenient. And the pricing is usually pretty good, better than competitive. It's usually pretty cheap. So why not market it? Why not say, Hey, this is what we do. And then when we talked about marketing for members, the takeaway there is that it's what we do is not for everyone. We don't have to look at all 250,000 people in our local government area to say, we need to get in front of every one of them. And somebody, I think I mentioned to you, somebody had said to me at a session, we can, our target market is everyone who has an email address. (laughs) 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 This was at that point where I was getting them to really narrow it down to say, what are the limiting factors? Is that when you pointed them to the word target? (laughs) (laughs) That's our target. target The red thing in the middle. Yeah, and look, this has kind of been playing on my mind a little bit. I was, <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit off topic. I was up on the roof on Sunday, and this popped into my mind for some reason. <laughs> Cleaning the leaves. For those of you who aren't long term uh, <laughs> basket case clubs listeners, it'll come as great surprise that we sometimes go off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but those who haven't. No. So, what was I doing on the roof? Cleaning the leaves out of the gutter. That's beside the point. But I don't know why it popped into my head at that time. But I was thinking back to that. Comment, no, everyone who has an email address is our target market. So what these the, this couple of, of people had missed was that we were trying to look for what are the limiting factors? What narrows down 
who we can have. So when we talked about a football club, for instance, we can say, you know, I think I mentioned the, the large football club that already has a thousand playing members and they've got five fields. So if you take some reasonable maximum field carrying capacity members per field, numbers of 220 members per field, that'd give us a theoretical maximum of 1,100 uh, 1, members, which is only 100 more than we've got. But it's the limiting factor is the number of fields we've got and the carrying capacity of each field. That's a physical limiting factor. So this group though, and this is why I was, oh, because they were from an environmental society that was raising money for koala care. And I was blowing the gum leaves out of my gutter. And I thought, I wonder if the koalas would eat that one. That's why I was thinking about it. And then it came to me. <laughs> koala jerky. Good way because they were trying to. Oh man. <laughs> so that they were not advertising, they were not marketing for members in thinking about that and trying to say, hey, everyone who's got an email address is a target for us. They were they were targeting donors. So they were trying to get emails okay. out to everyone. Now some might call that spam. They were trying to get emails <laughs> out in front of everyone who has an email address to say, hey, you can give us money so we can do what we do. Okay. But still it's missing the point in saying there are some people. Okay, they're assholes, but they just don't care about koalas. Mm. There are some people who do not care about conservation. There are some people who do not want to give. So, and then I, my mind just went a couple of steps further and thought, well, their target market isn't everyone with an email address because are they really trying to seek donations from anyone under the age of 18? Yes or no? And, and I, I would have loved to have had more time with them, but it was a very big group. And so I didn't get enough time with them specifically. And then they, they ended up having to leave quickly after the session ended. But had we had enough time to go through it, we could have narrowed it down and said, well, are you targeting donations from people under the age of 18? No. Okay. So what's the next age group up? 18 to 24. Who resides in that bracket? People who are just entering the workforce and are usually on fairly low incomes and students who are always on fairly low incomes. And you know that our work with university students is it's it's got to be cheap or free or we're not doing it. Mm. And so therefore they're, working as hard as they can just to make ends meet so that they can put themselves through university, they're not necessarily going to go and donate to koalas. Okay, you might find some outliers in there that, that are going to donate to koala conservation. Great. But are they really your target? So what is the The other thing for me, just quickly, that jumps into mind when you're talking about sending emails, cold emails to people uh, with whom you've had no prior contact and you're seeking a donation, the first thing that jumps into mind is Nigerian prints. I know when I get an email seeking donations, <laughs> my back is automatically up and, and I'm really unlikely to even open the email, let alone follow the link, click to donate. It just, so again. No, that, I might open the email insofar as I'm going to scroll right to the bottom and find the unsubscribe link. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, we've, I've done that. And that's not to say that I'm not going to give to koala conservation, but I don't no. want to be interrupted in yeah. my time or my work time by something that I that was unsolicited. So not only finding your target market, but also actually strategically select your marketing uh, vehicle or medium. And then your messaging as well, which is, so then when we get on to today's topic, which is how social media, I was going to say Facebook, but face, social media is bigger than Facebook. Now, the reason that I'm going to default to Facebook is while it isn't necessarily the social media um, What's the word? Platform I'm of for? choice across all of society. I was thinking something more like the prima donna of social media. <laughs> that, that's the sort of word I was thinking. Oh, co 
didn't remember it. So it doesn't matter. The moment's past, Michael. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's not the, the princess of social media that it used to be, especially because it doesn't cover all age groups. But as far as club use goes, it's still the weapon of choice that we see because it does yep. target the right place. And the, the functionality for event promoting, for establishing groups, ha- having control over who's in and out of those groups, the free ability to, to use... Um, to use posting so the program the the systems that allow you to post at certain frequencies and then you can post them across multiple platforms it's connectivity it's ubiquitousness yep. it still does make it a good weapon of choice for clubs it fits in the demographic the, the people who are typically involved in active with not-for-profit organizations anecdotally at least in my experience are most commonly on facebook that's their yeah. social media yep. platform with which they're familiar so the, the you know these people typically speaking are probably not as okay with TikTok, Snapchat, others that probably uh, yeah. exist without me knowing about them yet. <laughs> well, they they're going to be good at Facebook and Instagram probably, but they're yep. not necessarily using them differently. They're probably just saying, oh yeah, push that to Instagram as well, rather than saying, well actually let's engage in a different way with more visual content, particularly more video content on Instagram. Yep, but yeah, you're right. So that that's why we got we'll kind of default to Facebook. But what a lot of clubs are are trying to do is is look at social media, Facebook in particular, as this panacea of marketing. To say all we need to do is just post at a, a certain frequency. For some of them that, that are doing a good job, it's a couple of times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you don't want to be going any less than once a week because you're going to lose lose relevance and and people then won't won't know that they can rely on you to be posting your information there mm. but they're, they're thinking that that's all that we've got to do regardless of our frequency that's all we've got to do and then we will just have enough of everything that we want whether we're marketing specifically for members or specifically for our other business unit so we're going to start promoting our merch that's available on social media and that's all we need to do but it isn't and so the reason that it isn't i want to take you back in time we should get a time machine steve if we, if you, okay, if you were going to get a time machine, what would it be? What I have no be? idea where you're going with this. Seriously, though. Uh, what, other than a DeLorean? No, of course not other than a DeLorean. That's the only <laughs> time machine that's ever going to, del- ever going to exist. It's going to, it's going to have a flux capacitor that's driven by garbage. And we're going to be able to go anywhere we want. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's going to be really funny if I, I just hear a noise out in the front yard and my future self comes back in a flux capacity driven time machine and walks in here and bitch slaps me upside the head and says, stop being an idiot. <laughs> but stop I want dreaming to about this time machine and make it. <laughs> Don't go tell me how flux capacitor works. Oh. So let's get in our flux capacitor driven DeLorean time machine and jump back 20 something years mm-hmm. and have a look at what the world of digital marketing looked like back then. 20, 22 years ago, so back to the year 2000, say, the world of digital marketing was pretty new. So we were kind of just at the point of the dot-com bubble bursting. Yep. But in Australia in particular, a lot of businesses really didn't, they still didn't know what this internet thing was. How, how do I use a worldwide web, worldwide mm. web? How do I get an email address? And, and they were trying to invent ways to make it work. Now, this is obviously not, I'm generalizing here, and it's certainly not the case in for everyone, but a lot of small businesses in particular 
just saw it as mm, okay well well i don't yet know how it's going to work so what do we do in the meantime others thought let's get online let's just get online so they had a real shoot from the hip type approach to just getting online yep and i suppose now that i think about it steve given that you're a bit younger than me i'm probably <laughs> probably schooling you up in olden days speak <laughs> telling you about what the world was like when you're still running around in nappies yes i'm being nice he's not quite that young <laughs> but then when we get to move from small business to club it was for a lot of clubs it was the last thing that they were thinking about everything was still paper-based we yep. still did our, our paper-based sign-ons we still put a big sign up on the fence we still put hard copy notices in school newsletters that were still circulated in hard copies and they weren't necessarily thinking about, well, how can we innovate? How can we make sure that we're getting the right message to the right people in the right way at the right time and using this new digital platform to be able to do that? But social media certainly didn't exist. No. A, a real DIY approach to digital marketing didn't yet exist. It was still a long way away. So for the most part, those those clubs that did have a web presence had one of those web presences that looks like it was built on a windows 95 machine because it was, and it was pretty much just an online brochure. So it was just everything that we've got in a fold out brochure or something that we'll scribble in a grant application that didn't, that was no different. It, and it had no other functionality. So then we get back in our time machine and come back to the future or our, our present oh now i'm going to do my head in thinking about the present and the future depending on where i'm sitting <coughs> so now we get back to today it's just it's just today we get back to today and it's far different so even building your own website means that i can i don't have to wait for some nerd in a basement to make updates or produce an online form for me to do to do a survey a satisfaction survey and an exit survey of members we can do that all ourselves using online DIY WYSIWYG editors that create a beautiful looking web page very, very quickly and very, very cheaply. All free. Yeah. All free. Plus then you draw a circle around your website and you've got all of the social platforms mm. that sit around that. I was just going to say, let's stop halfway here from 2000. So let's say around 2010, 11. I think that that's when I saw the most shoot from the hip you know, really social media was becoming Facebook largely, um, I think had kind of pushed MySpace out at that sort of time and was really, which obviously was all personal use. And then we saw organizations making use of Facebook largely around that 10, 11, 12 sort of time. And I really noticed a huge shoot from the hip approach there where some organizations were doing a really good job getting a lot of engagement and other organizations down the road or, you know, in the same sport playing in the same competition would see We're that. Posting oh, funny cat videos. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, they'd see, see an organization doing a really good job because they, that, you know, organization that was doing the good job had someone who knew what they were doing and they were taking a strategic approach. approach. Yep. The other organization or organizations somewhat trying to piggyback off their success would, would, as you say, taking that shoot from the hip approach and they'd set up, you know, the Facebook account. And then as they came along, they'd set up other social media accounts. Like what was Google's Google plus Google plus. Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. that's right. It wasn't that long ago, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Instagram and then Google plus, which came and went, but organizations didn't take a strategic approach. So one of the things that, that I really wanted to just point to when you mentioned that shoot from the hip approach is, Organizations need to really understand what it is that they want 
to get out of their use of, of digital marketing more broadly even than social media? Are you trying to keep your current members up to date? Are you, you know, trying to get new members, volunteers? Are you trying to demonstrate how active you are in doing good in the community to convince uh, investors like grant providers that they should be investing in you? So then there really needs, your use of digital marketing needs to be underpinned by good strategic direction rather than just, look, someone else is doing it really well. Let's try and be successful as well. Mm, yep. So what's interesting then, and you've probably nailed the timing. So from 2007 to 2013, probably that period in there was where the, the focus really started to shift from websites to social media. Yeah. But what I've seen that, that I still think is a bit of a problem is that I think far too many clubs, and it's typically clubs that have started since that time, mm-hmm. don't have a web presence apart from their social media presence. So while they might yeah, that's do a really Facebook good point. really mm. well, many of them don't have a website. And for most of them, they're saying, but that, that's fine. It, it meets our needs. We Even those who do have a strategic approach, they're saying, this is why we do Facebook. This is how we do Facebook. This is when we do Facebook. And this is who we do Facebook for. And mm. it, it meets all of our needs. We want to communicate who's done what that's good and who we want to celebrate, like our volunteers or our, our star athletes. Uh, when the fields are closed, where our teams are this weekend, who's training where, what, what weather impacts we've had, and all of those sorts of quick, we need, we need a response fairly quickly sort of information. Mm. But it's missing a really important point, and that is that for the most part, all of these users of Facebook aren't paying for it. So when you sign up to Facebook, yes, you've got to go and create your account, connect it to, to who you are, and then you've got to tick, agree to all of their terms and conditions. Now, it's very easy to scroll through those terms and conditions and say, oh, this is all good information about how Meta is going to protect my private and personally identifiable information. <laughs> and I'm glad you're laughing because that's not what it says. It says, hey, hey, we are clever, rich entrepreneurs who understand that data is the new currency. This is several screens of very small writing that's explaining to you how we're going to take your private your privacy, private information and personally identifiable data and sell and it, sell that shit to make more money. We're going to create leverage from owning your data. That's what it says. So when when you look at it like that, it's really important to understand that if I'm not paying to use Facebook, I'm not a Facebook customer. I'm a Facebook user, but I'm not a Facebook customer. And being a user in a, it means that my data is now available to Facebook and the customers of Facebook who do pay for access to that data to leverage it and make money out of it by pushing the right thing to me at the right time. Freaking genius. Thank you. Thank <laughs> if you it, it really is just <laughs> freaking so clever. That, and, and I thought you were telling me I'm smart for figuring oh, sorry. it out. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Smart. Uh, I'm smarter than Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm your sidekick in Basket Casey goodness. <laughs> so um, this, is, Jess, this is probably that moment where you're supposed to do a little insert that says, beep, Basket Case Clubs is by no way endorsed by Mark Zuckerberg or anything to do with Facebook. <laughs> beep. <laughs> And we apologise for any likeness caused. Any likeness caused. Oh, crazy! It is. Yes, it is. It is absolute genius. And it's. But I wonder how many of our listeners have any idea that when they've clicked accept terms and conditions on, you know, these major social media platforms, all owned by Mark, uh, 
actually understand the the implications of clicking that. Well, of course, Steve, our basket case clubs listeners, of course they understand because they have the sort of high intelligence of the sorts of person that goes, yes, I understand this. I accept it. I accept that I am a commodity that is being sold, that my data is the commodity, that I'm not a customer, I'm a commodity. And the upside is better than the the downside. I've done a risk and reward analysis and gone, yep, I'm in and I'm all in. And how can I make use of it? How can I make use of it in my organization? See it for what it is and understand it. Yes, but obviously it's all the jokers who haven't yet worked out that Basket Case Clubs is the best podcast on the, on the planet. And so <laughs> the, the, the dumb ones who haven't figured it out yet. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Hey, maybe we should post an episode on Facebook. <laughs> That's a good idea. We'll record a live one. Hey. Well, I promise they're, not they're to all talk record, They're up. all recorded live. They're just not, <laughs> We haven't streamed them yet. Uh, just, now, just for our listeners, yes, you will find... Um, links to all of our podcasts on social media and on our website. But back to the point about our website, the reason that I think that a website is still important and that it should not be overlooked by those clubs that don't have a website is because your website is one of, if not the only place online where you are still in control. So even in Mm -hmm. a Google search, if I Google your name, ABC Sports Club Incorporated at this location, you're still going to be you're still going to come up first in that list but how you look and whether you come up first in that list is not up to you it is entirely up to google and their algorithms mm-hmm. how your facebook page looks how your individual personal facebook profile looks how a facebook group that you set up looks how a facebook event that you set up looks is not up to you sure the information that you put there is up to you but it's not controlled by you how that is presented to your customers and when facebook then goes and changes things Do you have a say in that? No, of course not. Do you have a say in how you come up in the feeds of your followers? Of course not. And it's, and and if you can figure out the algorithm to try and work out how, then stop listening to basket case clubs and go and claim your billions of dollars by selling that shit to everybody else who's trying to figure it out. (laughs) Because they're deliberately. Or let us in, you know, (laughs) we're happy to join piggyback Mm, joint venture. The, the only people who know how those algorithms work are the ones that write them and control them and they work for Facebook and they work for Google. So the, the thing is about having your own website, it gives you a platform where you are still 100% in control and that doesn't exist in the world of social media. So it's important to understand that. The other thing that having a website gives you is ownership of the domain. So I've become very suspicious if I'm looking for somebody to do some work around my house and believe it or not, I will go to Facebook now. I will go to my local community Facebook group and say, hey, local community, I'm, I want to have some fencing work done at my house. Who, 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 who have you used that is a good fencing contractor yep. and can they come and do my fence as well? That, that's where I'm going to go. But if old mate turns up and let's say his name is the same as my name and it's Mix Fencing. And his email address on the back of his truck is mixfencing at gmail.com. I'm Thank probably, you where you're going with this. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna I'm probably not gonna do business with him because I'm going, I, I I could go and start a mixfencing at gmail.com email address. Where's your bona fides, mate? Mm. It's twenty twenty two. We should have a level of consistency in our brand across all platforms and owning our own domain name, I think, is very important. It demonstrates seriousness. And it demonstrates that we understand that 
this is a, this is an organization and you know we've said it a million times that don't run your club like a business run it as the business that it is well this is how we do business we are we take our online presence seriously we take our digital branding seriously and we work very hard to create consistency across platforms and i'm interested to know how you knew where i was going with that Oh, the the Gmail. I, I've heard you speak with and about organisations with Gmail accounts, and I share your uh, hesitation in giving them, giving organisations that use a Gmail. Or I pick on my wife who still has a Hotmail account. Yeah, they still exist, um, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't fill you with confidence. It doesn't um, put forward a an air of professionalism and you know i've even worked you know had contractors do work at my house who are quite sizable contractors that supply to you know big builders and so on and they still operate just with a gmail email address and and it it just isn't a, a professional um facade and so I've heard you. I've heard you talk about it before. So I knew that as soon as you were talking about the truck pulling up, it was going to be about the email address on the bottom. And well, we're being now, a little bit um, nitpicky there. In, in well, yeah, and generalist. But you know, some people might think, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But just think about how you perceive an organisation when they do own their own domain. And what does a domain cost, Mick? Twelve dollars a year. Yep. Maybe. Yep. We're not talking about big that. bucks. Yep. And it's interesting. I'm going to change my little bitch session there steve because i'm now going to pick on hotmail users because microsoft <laughs> closed hotmail i don't know when and so now it all goes to outlook.com instead so that not only does it mean that i haven't got my own domain and therefore i'm not necessarily taking this business seriously <laughs> i'm out of date with freaking microsoft <laughs> so i still think that it's important to have your own web presence where you've got control and you've you can then post everything that you need now if you don't have the time to update it plus your 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 social media you probably still focus on social media because that's where the activity needs to happen and that is if if that's where your customers are going then that's where they're going to go and they're going to keep going there but to be able to say this is where we're putting all of our act our important information so if we want to have a portal on our website where our members can go and access the documents before the AGM for instance we can okay we can circulate links on through a closed facebook group but again where's it hosted and what control do we have over how long that stuff's going to be available it, it, mm. it is putting it in somebody else's hands and i believe that those are fairly safe hands for the long term, at, at least the next few years, unless probably unless there's a nuclear strike on Southern California that, bl that blows up, you know, Silicon Valley, mm. I think that we're going to be okay, but you don't have control over it. And so if you no. want control over it and you want to be able to move things around and you want to be able to control access to things in exactly the way that you want to, then it's still a good idea to, to have that so that, A, you've got your domain. Anyway, so, so that's important. But when we take that step back, it's important to think about what we're talking about here is marketing. I've also mentioned branding and having a consistent online brand is really important. And I'm, this is serious, Steve. How often have you seen it that when you go and look at the same club, you might find several websites because yep. somebody lost the password and we couldn't then go and shut an old one down. Mm. I know an organization who changed its name because it couldn't shut down oh, wow. the old website. <laughs> like, 
you got to take this stuff seriously. But then the name of the same organization appears differently on each of the three websites. So they might have their own website that they've got from a domain name. They might have some free service that they'd used, some Wix type thing that they'd used that was yep. different. And then they might have had one that was through their provider from their state or national mm-hmm. body. Then they've got a different name or different branding or different color scheme, different logo on Facebook, a different, probably not on Instagram, but if they're using Twitter or they did use Twitter at some point, then they've got this profile open over there and it's written differently. And the name isn't the same. Like, you know what your name is. It's on that certificate of incorporation thing. It's on your constitution. We know what it is. Use it correctly. That's who you are. Don't bastardize it. And through no fault of the current volunteers in that and many organizations in a similar situation, they they are not putting forward a really professional image through their no. digital footprint. And no, not those. I came sad. across a website this week in preparing for this episode that's still like those websites that I was picking on from the late nineties. Mm. Still this, it, this is a charity group that does fantastic work and their web presence makes me look at them and go, I'm not going to donate to that charity. <laughs> <laughs> is it just me? Like, am, am I, what would that be? Technologist, technologyist? Technophilist, I don't know. Technophobist. <laughs> anyway, may, look, maybe it's just me, but I, I, I think that it's important that you take, regardless of what I think, take this shit seriously because this says a lot about you. If you are inconsistent and you can't get your act together in how you present yourself, where everybody can find it now, there's no secrets. There's no having a politician say something and having it printed on Wednesday in the paper and then nobody having a chance to comment until the Saturday edition comes out with the letters to the editor. But mm. it is instant now. So the world will vote very quickly. And you'll look, if you go and look at your statistics on your website, it's called the bounce rate. The, the bounce is when somebody comes to your website and goes, oh, not for me and leaves very quickly. What's your bounce rate look like? And I'm going to guess that if you've got a website that looks like it's, look, if it, sure, if it looks like a late 90s website, fine. But even if it just looks shit, people aren't going to stay. They, they, our expectations as consumers now have gone up so far. So that, yeah, I was going to say that while some people might think that you're sounding a little bit technologist, um, <laughs> a lot of people will, I'm sure, be uh, thinking as, as you're talking through this message and they'll be realizing that without even consciously recognizing it, they've been kind of feeling the same. Or maybe after listening to this episode, they'll land on some shitty websites and they'll realize, oh, I don't, That's I'm not I feel with confidence funny. by this yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it'll be a Gmail account. Mm, yes, yes, or a Hotmail. So the so the important thing then is to understand to to try and bring this all to a, to a close is, and it's interesting I say that usually about halfway through an episode. So I'm sorry <laughs> if you've all got really excited and then just glanced at your phone to see how much playtime you had left, and it's still says forty seven minutes to go. Where are they going here? <laughs> But it's important to understand what we're talking. We're talking about marketing, digital marketing. And I think all mm. too many people, to go back to where we started, all too many people try and use digital marketing, particularly Facebook in the club world, as let's just put some shit there and hope that that solves all of our problems. And then we'll get all the members that we want and sell all the shit from a canteen we want and sell all the merch we want and we'll get all the sponsors that we want. And then everyone will know exactly what we're doing when we submit a grant application. We don't need to put anything in our application. Everyone will just know because it it's just going to be there. And that's not how it works. It's not a panacea. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a magic wand that's just going to solve your marketing problems. And so that's why I'm going to introduce the definition of the word market that I ripped off from Jeffrey Moore. So those of you who have read any of Jeffrey Moore, his, the work that he's probably best known for is called Crossing the Chasm. And it talks about the technology adoption innovation lifestyle, life cycle. So it's a bell curve 
where it starts off with the innovators and the early adopters. So those are the people who are out there when we're talking specifically about technology, they're out there lining up in the middle of the night to get into the Apple store first thing in the morning to buy the new iPhone. Then you've got the early adopters and the early adopters, they're not necessarily going to line up, but they will be the ones who have the shiny cover on their iPhone that has the little thing that demonstrates that yes, this is actually an Apple device. It's it, this is not mm -hmm. just, this is real and I've got the blue one. So that demonstrates that it's the new inexpensive and it's the big ones. So it's, it says something about them. And then we get into the early majority, the late majority and the laggards and the laggards are the people in the market that you kind of typically forget about because, you know, to continue the mobile phone analogy, they're the ones who are still using their Motorola flip phone or their old Nokia 5110 because it still gets, still goes. <laughs> My oldest had a Nokia as his first phone and he kind of got, a little bit picked on at school because most of his friends had iPhones, early iPhones by that stage, but it wasn't really, it was, it was more like, dude, like, all right. You know, they're actually celebrating a little bit because one of them said to him, you know, Chris, the iceberg, uh, the iceberg, the Titanic didn't sink because it hit an iceberg. The Titanic sank because it hit a Nokia. Is that shit <laughs> <be> anything? <laughs> but those are the laggards and they're not going to get on the technology adoption life cycle because they don't, they don't really want to learn a new thing. Mm. And, but the important part of Jeffrey Moore's work is that it's not just a seamless transition from the early adopters into the early majority. So innovators to early adopters is a seamless transition, but then there's a, what he calls the chasm. So there's a gap that you've got to cross to be able to move from the innovators and the early adopters, the people who just get it and they're going to buy this shit anyway, into the, the, the major segment of the market to the early and late majority. But in defining a market, he calls it a group of actual or potential customers. So for instance, these are the people who do or might buy what we're selling. So in our case, that's sport that have a common set of needs or wants and who reference each other when making a buying decision. That's a really important part of the definition and who reference each other when making a buying decision. Now, yeah, Jeffrey Moore's talking about technology adoption here but this mm -hmm. works in the sporting market as well and it's because of that last part marketing then is promoting your message in a way that connects to your market but remember last time we talked about defining your market in as small as small a viable as small as is viably possible mm -hmm. so that you know exactly where to where to target who are the people that are going to buy this so who are our innovators and early adopters and in our world because we have those limitations that mean that 1100 customers might be all we can service at one time it's actually fairly easy to find them we'll, and we'll probably find them in the innovators and early adopters because there are enough people like us like us who have the value set that we have who have the beliefs that we have and want the same culture from a club that we want so we can probably find enough there but when thinking about marketing, it's it, it, it you, you've got to understand that yes, we're trying to get the message in front of the, the right people, but what's the, what's critical about it is that those people reference each other. Mm. So from a marketing perspective, what we should be trying to do when we're using digital marketing is not for our digital marketing to close the deal. The better way to think about it is let's let our digital marketing open the conversation. And then when that conversation is open, it's the conversation that we're having that closes the deal. So it's an inbound inquiry comes in because of our marketing, but then it's how we handle that inbound inquiry that's going to differentiate between whether we make the sale, we don't make the sale. So just before we started, I shared a story with you about a meeting where I was last night and one of the girls in the meeting said, 
oh, we had this new team has joined the club. Oh, that's fantastic. How did they find us? And she said, well, I had somebody sent us an email and when I contacted her to say, hey, would you like to join our club? And then she ended up joining our club and bringing a whole team. She said, so why did you choose our club? She said, because you were the only ones that wrote back. <laughs> I put my head in my hands and said, what the actual? Like, <laughs> like so you can't, you can't try and generate inbound inquiries and then sit on them and do nothing with them. You've still got to action it. So it's really important that when you get an inbound inquiry, it's the word of mouth promotion that's going to close the deal. And that can be how we believe in our club and how we talk about our club and how we, we believe that you joining us is absolutely the best thing for you. I think this has really hit home lately for me. And I'll phrase this comment by asking you a question. When was the last time that you bought something without looking at at least a handful of reviews? Um. <laughs> Um, so I don't know, Steve, I'm going to say before the internet became a thing. <laughs> so, well, that, so uh, my wife, Katie was looking at, I think it was little vinyl stickers for our daughter's daycare lunchbox and water bottle. And, you know, she had a handful of websites and um, possible places to go and get them in, in person. And she said, oh, I just can't decide which one of these I'm going to go with. And I said, well, have you looked at the reviews? And she said, no. I said, well, go and have a look at the reviews. And within a few minutes, she found one of them that had, you know, a huge number of legitimate seeming reviews. So she just made that decision. So that referencing each other, absolutely, for me, I think has really hit home through the review process. And before I buy anything, I'll go into a store now and, you know, a, a, a hi-fi or um, home appliance store. And I know exactly what I'm going to buy. Sometimes a good salesman will change my mind, uh, but I've got the reviews. I've got but the background. Even, but even if that happens, you've still pulled up your phone and you're still reading reviews in front of the salesperson. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, this other company can give it to me cheaper. Are you going to match this price? God, salespeople must hate the internet. <laughs> yes, they did. They absolutely did because I was working. It was yeah. like one of my, you know, those jobs that university students have when they're yep. trying not to spend their money on donating to koala conservation. I was selling donuts. So yeah, I was selling yeah, TVs. Yeah, everyone's yeah, very glad there wasn't an internet. <laughs> but it's so this absolutely for me, I think, really. Um, highlights the importance of that that um, definition of marketing, at least the last part of it where you say that ref, um, where Jeffrey Moore says that a, a market or people within a market will reference each other. Yeah. And, and that's also happening, as you say, to start, not, um, not, not to close the deal, which is really probably where you're at when you're looking at reviews or getting close to that, but to start the conversation, particularly in the realm of services marketing, which is what our clients are typically doing. Yeah. It's uh, a really good question, Steve. And, and I, I, very often make decisions. No, I always make decisions based on reviews, but I'm kind of the nerdy type where if I'm making a significant decision, so my car, for instance, as you know, when I was comparing one high powered V8 car with another, what made my mind up is I just went to falsify everything. So I yeah. said, well, show me a bad review. Tell me why I wouldn't. And I, I, I looked for the bad reviews and said, mm. can I, so can I pit these two against each other? And I'm looking to say, well, how's it going to break? Yeah. And that's really important because when you ask me, so I'm selling my own club. When you ask me, I should, and now not everyone does. So please start if you're not. I should be really good at selling how good our club is and why it's wonderful for you and how we're going to provide you the experience that you want. But when that's coming from me, I'm a biased source. And you know that the salesperson yep. that you were talking about 
when you're buying a TV, is a biased source because they're going to make commission or at least getting paid to sell you the TVs that they've got in stock. Yep. Where, where word of mouth becomes so much more powerful is when the market references itself. I can, I can promise you that if I'm going to buy a TV, the next TV I buy is going to be the one that you told me to buy because you said you'd bought a TCL and it flickered. And then the next TV you bought was a Samsung and you said, just don't buy anything else. Yep. So I'm going to spend, I know that I'm going to spend more on a Samsung than a TCL because of what you said. And we I'm, just I, had we, we just had this discussion about a battery charger and it, oh, you we were did. doing some research <laughs> and I said, no, no, buy this one. And you said, okay, I'll buy this one straight away. So that's I a got great a example. When you were reading the specifications, I was reading the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so it's right though. It's right. Though. We are not abnormal. And no. we, are, we are the target market for sports clubs. We have kids. We yep. are participants ourselves. We are exactly who you are, who you are marketing to. Yep. So the most powerful thing that you should be trying to get your social media to do and your entire digital presence, including your website to do is to back up what I say about what I, so it's, our digital footprint should back up what I say about mm. our club. So if I say it's wonderful and this is the benefits that it brings and this is what's in it for you, then when you go and search it, you should be getting the same messages. They should be digital. They should be high quality. They should be visual as much as digital. They should be visual as much as possible. So can you do video content? The, the cameras in your phones now are better than any camera that I've ever bought. I stopped buying cameras because I just keep updating my phone. So mm. you can, you've got a great camera, a little gimbal for it. So you can do those lovely slow-mo shots that are very smooth. You, you've got a member with a drone, make sure that they've got their CASA accreditation to get some of those awesome shots and great video of what your facilities look like. All of this is really easy to do now, the, the DIY world. But the best bet is not when the word of mouth is me telling you the potential customer. It's when one of our customers tells you the potential customer. So when that part of that final part of Jeffrey Moore's definition of the market works, when they are referencing each other about us. So that's what it's that's what we're trying to do and the way that social networking works is that you've got friends who are like you if you like me and you like me enough to repost or share the stuff that i'm sharing then because you're sharing it among your network through you i have access to a whole range of people that i wouldn't otherwise have access to and i know that they're people like you because mm. they're your friends and i know that you are connected to us because i'm somebody like you as well and then so, so social networking worked before there was a, a digital social network. It's those people, those parts of the market referencing each other about their buying decisions. Mm. Now they just do it online, but it, it was much of that then transitioning from the online world to the in-person world that you can get the better. So if you can have your online presence manipulating the conversations that are happening in the school car park at pickup time between parents that is worth so much more than anything else that we can do. So that's the sort of conversation, offline conversation that you really want to be working to drive because that's the stuff that works. Yep. It's so much more powerful than you talking about how wonderful you are if others do it for you. Absolutely. So I've got to just written down a new takeaway and this is based on the comment, the conversation that we've just had about my battery charger that you've just helped me buy. <laughs> Get reviews from your customers. People yeah. read that shit, man. Yep. It is so powerful. And if somebody gives you a one-star review, what does that mean? Is that the end of the world for you? Or is that an opportunity? Is that free advice for how you can improve your services? 
your ability to comment on somebody's comment, to reply to somebody's comment and to do so publicly, if somebody's had a bad experience and then you've fixed it, that can be even more powerful a positive marketing tool for you than had they not had the bad experience in the first place. You remember the avocado, the Woolies? That's exactly what came to mind. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. But it also happens in the offline world. The, the um, young family that went to the hotel reception desk to say, the tennis, there's a tennis court free. Can we book it to play tennis? Yes, absolutely. Have you got your own rackets? Oh, no, we didn't bring any. Oh, well, you're going to have to wait because we've only got one set of rackets. And one of the people who worked in the hotel jumped in her car and ran down to one of the sports stores, Amart or Ripper Sport or something, bought some cheap tennis rackets, you know, 18, 20 bucks each and drove back and went and knocked on the mum's door and said, oh, I've got some tennis rackets if you still want to book the court. Because of that, that example, that mum then on checking out said, oh, by the way, thank you for doing what you did. That was remarkable. And we've booked our whole extended family to come here for Christmas. So they've spent thousands and thousands wow. of dollars to book in because they fixed, a, it was a tiny little pseudo problem. It's not really a problem, but because they went over and above to fix it. Yeah. They gave a shit. The, oh yeah. But it was just a tiny shit that they gave. So that's why <laughs> it's, that's why if somebody rings you, reply if somebody yes if somebody sends you an email reply if you're not going to reply straight away and, and i 100 support this have one of those auto responders that says yes. thank you very much for your inquiry as secretary i respond to my club emails on tuesday between these hours and fridays between these hours if i don't get back to yours it's only because there's a high volume but please rest assured that your email has been received if the matter becomes urgent please contact this number between these hours yeah like, they wonderful. are fantastic those auto responders because it's a great reminder it's 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 a response immediately to yep. acknowledge that the email has been received, yep. but it's straight away giving that person context for why the response might take some time. Yeah. Yeah. And it enables volunteers to say as happy volunteers because they're maintaining the work-life balance. This yeah. case being their volunteer work-life balance. Yeah. So yes, that's takeaway number one. Number two, I'm going to jump back to something that you said earlier, and that's about having a strategic approach to your so use of social media. And I'm going to extend that to having a strategic approach right across your digital footprint. Yep. So just because the marketing experts in bunny ears say that you've got to have a profile on every single social media platform that exists doesn't make it true. If you're not going to use Twitter, don't use it. Don't bother. If you are going to pick, then my suggestion at this stage, given that the date is July 2022, I'd still say Facebook's probably your best bet. But if you can do Facebook plus Instagram, even better. If you can then separate the content a little bit, knowing that the audiences of those platforms are a little bit different. But all of this should be based on a strategy that is very clear. We know what we're trying to achieve. Therefore, we know, and, and then back that strategy up with a policy that says, this is the sort of stuff that we're going to post. This is when, this is who, this is, and password protection, please protect your passwords. But having that strat strategy focus on how you do your digital work is really, really important. Mm have a website even if it's limited in scope to begin with because you've still got got full control over it and obviously the final and most important one for me is understand that a market is a group of people who have the same or similar wants and desires and who reference each other before making a buying decision drive word of mouth as much as you can so that's how you talk about your offering but it's also how the real goal here is for your people to sing your praises from the rooftops. So there you go. That's our stroll through digital marketing where we haven't said how to set up a Facebook account. We did tell you how to scroll through and not read all of the terms and conditions. <laughs> <laughs> but you're already really good at that. <laughs>
I was doing something once in, in reading instructions in how to update one of my little pieces of hardware. And so I plugged it in and followed all of the instructions and it said, do this, plug it in and you've got to turn them on. It's musical equipment, so you've got digital stuff you've got to turn on in a certain order, plug it in, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, you know, step number five, read the terms and conditions carefully in brackets. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Who actually does that? Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> in case you're interested, it was one of the Yamaha subsidiaries called Line 6. So very, very good work, guys. <laughs> very good work. Very funny. So, Steve, thank you for joining me, for being my partner in Basket Casey Crime once again. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity, as always. <laughs> it's been exciting. Uh, this little journey through marketing has been really interesting. I hope it's been, uh, I was going to say eye-opening, maybe eye-popping in some of the, the segues <laughs> that we've made all the way through. Obviously, th big thanks to Jess for being our editor. And yes, the bits that you didn't hear of this episode were probably even funnier than the bits that you did. If you want to check us out, go and have a look at what we're doing on social media. We're pretty active there. And that's a very deliberate, uh, very deliberate tactic. That's because we want to make sure that there's some visibility for what we do. However, you know that we're not there to close the deal. We're there to open the conversation. We're there to make the, our digital presence say what we say about ourselves. Mm. If you're not already a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that at our website, cprgroup.com.au, and you'll get a little pop-up that says, hey, subscribe to our website. And it's, it's good. It's, I think the frequency is pretty good, and we've got some really useful information that, again, goes through to solutions. Yes, there's lots of problems in your volunteer world, lots of hassles, but it's all about finding a solution. And that's what we do at CPR Group and, of course, here at Basket Case Clubs. Thanks very much, Steve. I look forward to chatting to you again soon. Thank you. See ya. Bye.